We are delighted that you've joined us for an hour of inspirational music on Songs of Praise. Let me be the wind. 
the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing and he walks with me me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known
Songs of Praise continues on 3ABN Australia Radio. How can I doubt your love for me? How can I think you don't exist? How can I sin intentionally? How can I doubt? How can I shine?
beautiful Savior is Jesus, my Lord. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the Give your best to the master. 
My heart is steadfast, God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises. Psalm 57, verse 7.
With musical messages about our loving Creator God, this is Songs of Praise. Strength is perfect. 
Received my sight, and now. 
Songs of Praise is a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. Join us next time for more inspirational music. Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, We are continuing Banish the Night by the late missionary pilot and pastor Len Barnard, read by Clive Nash. The book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Pacific Press and is available in print and digital editions online. Continuing Chapter 14, Define Tamango. Returning along the same trail a few days later, 
I was told that a chief at Pogoramanda was very anxious for help from our mission. When we arrived at his village, a pig feast was in progress, attended with the usual excitement. The people were so engrossed in their feasting that they did not come forward to greet us. I waited a while, glad of the excuse for a rest. Just as we were about to leave, a man arrived in the village and announced to us, Me like him, seven-day mission. Some of the other men laughed and mocked at his boldness, but he told me he had refused any part in the pig feast and would like an evangelist to settle among his people. I noticed that the speaker wore two arrow scarves on his upper chest and one on each side, but none on his back. Obviously, he was a veteran warrior who always faced his enemies and could be depended upon to support staunchly the mission of his choice. I told him to build a hut and we would try to supply someone. An evangelist was sent and this brave man accepted Christ. As I saw a plane take off from the government airstrip in the Kandip Valley and climb into the blue, my heart ached. Aircraft belonging to the various companies and other missions regularly flew into this valley in a few minutes while we still had to labour over the tortuous tracks. Having been a pilot myself for many years, I found this situation particularly galling. How long, O God, I lamented, must we wait for our own plane? Seeing the Land Rover waiting at the end of the vehicular road next day, we rejoiced. After plodding the muddy trails, we found bumping along the road on wheels a satisfying experience. The 12-mile drive to Ligham took us one hour and the hike two days. We could have flown the total distance in 15 minutes. Flowing through Ligham is the Lagipe River, which continues northwest to Mulataka, 12 miles downstream. Two miles farther on, the road terminates, and beyond, the gorge deepens and habitation thins till it fades out altogether. A few miles down this gorge at that time was uncontrolled territory, the government not yet having given permission for missionaries to enter. But toward the border were several mission stations which I decided to visit. Pastor Lionel Smith, an Australian missionary of Irian Barat, formerly known as West New Guinea, accompanied me on this trip. At the first outpost, we found a woman whose unbelieving husband, because she wanted to be a Christian, had poured boiling water over her. She recovered in a hospital. Crossing over a frail swinging bridge made of vines and poles is a creaking, nerve-testing experience. Once on the other side, we followed the river to our last place of call where the evangelist was building a church. Beyond this, the track led up a huge landslide to a high ridge pointing to a gorge hundreds of feet below. In the centre of the gorge rose a massive peak with almost sheer walls marking the boundary of the uncontrolled territory where hundreds of tribesmen had never heard the name of Jesus. We yearn to proclaim the good news of salvation to them. The evening meal consisted of cow-cow, pumpkin and beans purchased from the villagers and made into a stew. Then we enjoyed biscuits brought from home as we sipped a hot drink. We always carried a portable radio on these patrols for listening to local and overseas news. 
This particular evening, I pricked up my ears as the local news came on. Listen, I shouted to Lionel, who was reclining on his cot. The administrator has just declared that the country west of here is now open, so we can enter there tomorrow. Incredible, said Lionel. We crossed the boundary early the next day with light hearts. Excited at being the first to bear the good tidings to this area, after several hours of walking we came upon a group of villagers making a hut. They looked at us with a nonchalant air and kept on working. But they did cast an occasional glance at us. The children overcame their shyness first and squatted round us chatting like a flock of magpies. With the aid of the picture roll we talked to them and soon these little ones were singing Jesus Loves Me, bright eyes beaming with delight. Slowly the men drifted over, then the women, and before long we had a good audience. They were intrigued by the pictures and the news that the God-man Jesus had defeated Tamango. To judge from appearances, this fell like music on the ears of some. But the burly chief rose with a scowl on his face and started to talk. It was obvious that he was unhappy about something. The interpreter told us that he did not want the seven-day mission among his people because he had heard that they forbade the eating of pig. Explanations and friendliness availed us nothing, and I commented to Lionel, well, it's a long way to come just to be told this. Then a man of small stature stood up. He also wore a frown, but I noticed he was cleaner and there were no charms hanging from his neck. He said that what the chief had told us was his own decision, but not all the people concurred in it. Pigs, he said, were filthy and the cause of many disputes. He had long since given all of this away. He pleaded with us not to leave the district till we had given someone to instruct the interested people in God's way of life. Ever since visiting an Adventist mission elsewhere, this man had waited for the clean mission to come to his village. Fortunately, we were able to leave an evangelist, and soon a group was following the Lord. But the man who had waited for our coming suffered for stating his convictions. Enemies of the mission came to the station one day and asked who had requested the seven days to settle there. When our supporter stepped forward, saying that he had done so, he was seized by two men who held his hands while a third struck him in the face, breaking several of his teeth. But he did not attempt to retaliate. Since then, this man has become a member of the church and joyfully looks forward to the coming of Christ. Thus his work goes on despite difficulties. Lack of men slows us down. Restricted budgets harass us. But our general, who never makes a mistake, says to us, Advance, enter new territory, lift the standard in every land. Our watchword is to be onward, ever onward. Angels of heaven will go before us to prepare the way. Our burden for the regions beyond can never be laid down till the whole earth is lightened with the glory of the Lord. And that's a quote from Gospel Workers, page 470. Chapter 15. To Find a Plain Lying west of Ligham, 
remote and almost inaccessible, is a valley renowned for its gold. Mighty bulwarks of jagged rock rise defiantly for thousands of feet, while deep gorges and impenetrable jungle combine to resist the intruder. Even before government patrols penetrated Porgera, a lone prospector ventured in undaunted by the rigours of the track. Here in the turbulent river that gushes from a rocky escarpment, he found gold. After months of toil and hardship, he returned to civilization with the precious metal that made him wealthy. Beautiful in its grandeur and awesome in its ruggedness, this valley still holds fabulous wealth deeply buried beneath masses of rock. When he returned from his prospecting, the gold miner brought men from the valley to work on his coffee plantation at Garoka. Among these was M.I., a young pygmy, five feet tall and puny in build. He wore only a piece of cloth and a bunch of leaves hanging from his waist. But in M.I.'s heart was a yearning for something more satisfying than the glitter of gold. One day he was persuaded by a friend to visit an Adventist mission station at Bina Bina, and here he found what he was seeking, peace of mind and joy in his newly found Lord and Saviour. Eventually, M.I. joined the church, and with unquenchable happiness he returned to his distant village. Here he proclaimed the love of God and the way of salvation with such earnestness that hearts were won. When the government opened this rugged area for mission penetration, I led a band of workers in. Mud, mountains, tropical downpours, and the burning sun almost discouraged us, but our efforts were rewarded the first Sabbath. At Tibbenin village, where M.I.'s faithful witness had raised up a group of believers, already four had been baptised and the villagers showed eagerness to know more about the God of love. After telling them of the beautiful promise that our Saviour had made to save us from death, and after describing the wonders and glories of heaven, I asked those who wanted to go there to raise their hands. Up went a score of hands, young and old. A group of children who were sitting in front and had just been taught to sing Jesus loved me, raised their hands. Following the service, the chief arose and pointed to certain men and women whom he said would allow to go to heaven. But he would not permit a little girl sitting in front to go. She excitedly protested, big tears streaming down her grimy face, saying no one would stop her from going to heaven. With some effort I managed to pacify her. Then I told the chief that God was preparing homes for everyone who loved and obeyed him. At Bopen village also, M.I. had planted precious seeds, and many desired to unite with the body of Christ. Chiefs came in from other villages and pleaded for spiritual help. They had seen the radiant happiness of M.I. The next day was mercilessly hot, the sun beating down on our backs as we toiled up a steep mountainside. After two hours, we reached the summit and lay down exhausted under a large tree, refreshed by a cooling breeze. In the distance, we saw a Cessna aircraft land on a little airstrip carved out of mud and mountain. After an interval, it took off with a burst of power, climbed and disappeared toward the north. 
Again, I questioned why the Adventist mission did not have a plane. For three days we had been toiling over mountains and through mud. It would take us four more tiresome hours to hike to the airstrip. Planes could fly from there to Ligham in 15 minutes. How long would it be before we could speed up God's work by flying over the obstacles that delayed us on the ground? Eighteen years had passed since I took my training as a pilot, but I had to be patient a little longer. About midday we came across three men and four boys who were laboriously carrying soil from a cliff to a sluice box. Happy for an excuse to rest, we watched as they huddled intently over the sluice, washing the soil away with running water and looking for the glint of gold. The leader asked me whether I would like to see what he had found that morning. From a dirty bag hanging over his shoulder, he took a small tin that he opened. Within were seven flakes of gold, averaging about one grain each. So much work for so little gain, I thought. But as I expressed my astonishment, the miner told me that even a little gold is of considerable value, so the toil and sweat were worthwhile to him. I compared the miner who first discovered gold here with M.I. Though M.I. received no gold, he worked with even greater zeal and joyfully endured suffering. Instead of a shovel and a gold pan, he carried a picture roll and a simple gramophone. He had indeed found the true gold, the pure gold of Porgora, that was considered of highest value in heaven. In the sight of men, M.I. is only a pygmy, but in the eyes of God... He is of great stature. To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of Banish the Night, written by Len Barnard and read by Clive Nash. Let's listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. Psalm 70 is David praying for personal peace. Be swift, O God, to rescue me. Please hurry to help me, O Lord. Let those be brought down and be dumbfounded who seek to end my life. Let them retrace their steps and be confused who want to harm me. Let them slink away in their humiliation, those people who have heaped scorn upon me. Reward all those who seek you, O Lord, with a glorious vision of you. And may those who rejoice in your salvation say, May God be glorified. As for me, I am a poor and needy man. So hurry to help me, O God, for you are the only one who can help and deliver me. So please, O Lord, do not wait any longer.